Thank you for listening to Pastoring on Purpose. Welcome to Pastoring on Purpose. My name is Dr. Tim Manis, and I am the Pastoral Care, Spirit Care Director here at Ministerial Care, bringing you into our studios here at Ministerial Care. To my right is the esteemed, wonderful Dr. Jeff Sargent. Esteemed and wonderful. Yes. Good to meet you. Yes. So it's good to, good to have him with us, as always. And to my left is our guest today. It's Dr. Tom Rawson. Uh, Dr. Tom Rawson is the uh, Regional Superintendent for the Church of God in Eastern Europe, and he's, he is the President of the Eurasian Theological Seminary in Moscow. Dr. Rawson, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor. And you're going to want to listen to this episode because we're going to be talking about uh, the crisis in Ukraine, the ministers there, a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on. And Dr. Rawson's a very perfect uh, person to, to kind of give us a glimpse of some of the things that are happening over there. So be sure to be back with us right after this ad break. Pastoring on Purpose is a production of the Center for Ministerial Care, a ministry of the Church of God. Ministerial Care provides counseling services for Church of God ministers and offers those resources to our leaders free of charge. If you're a pastor in the Church of God who would benefit from a fresh, healthy perspective on life, leading, or following the Lord's call, or know someone who is, please visit ministerialcare.com. Welcome back to Pastoring on Purpose and... Once again, I, I really want to get into talking with Dr. Rawson here. And is it okay if I call you Tom? By sure. The way? Is that good? Sure. Uh, Tom, many of our listeners are currently serving as leaders or have led churches and other organizations. We have been aware of the crisis in the Ukraine, and it's been constantly on the news. And most of us perhaps do not have your perspective. Um, you've been able to be there. You've been able to talk with ministers there. You've seen it uh, from a more up-close personal view, if you will. So since you have seen firsthand the war and how it has impacted our churches, I I understand that it's a a humanitarian crisis. Uh, People are scattered about Europe. Lives are lost, upended, children, homes, churches destroyed. Meanwhile, our pastors have continued to serve the the members of their churches. Can you kind of give us a glimpse into what's really taking place there in Ukraine with our people and with our ministers in general. Sure. I mean, that's a broad topic. I don't even know really where to start. Mm-hmm. Just from a Church of God perspective, before the war uh, or the special operations broke out, as the Russians would like, would like to call that, uh, we had 100 congregations. 42 of those were in the Donbass, where in eastern Ukraine, where most of the fighting is going on. So immediately, that put many of our churches in high alert. Uh, we've had uh, at least five church buildings destroyed. We have many congregations that no longer are meeting simply because the people have been evacuated to other parts of Ukraine, sometimes even leaving the country. Uh, we do have a couple of bigger churches that the buildings are staying open. We don't know who the people are that are coming into the church for a building. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago in Slavyansk, where they are about seven miles away from the Russian army, uh, 90% of the town has been evacuated, but they still had 200 people in church and 18 people getting saved. Uh, it's just wow. 
Yeah, and the need, people come. But you're at the point now where most people who need to be or want to be evacuated have been. They've been relocated to someplace else. Uh, So you do have a couple of issues. You do have a lot of dislocation of people and families. Many families are split up where the women and children are gone to safer places. The men stay behind. If they're pastors, usually it's one of two things. They're either serving as a chaplain in the Army or they're actively trying to bring humanitarian aid to the front lines or evacuate people away from the front lines. Um, and that's going on on a, on a daily basis, daily basis. Uh, obviously, you have the existential fears of you know food and shelter. The further east you go, the more they have to worry about that. Um, where am I going to stay? Is it going to be bombed tonight? Mm-hmm. I've got pastors wondering, will my church be the next building that gets blown up? Wow. Um, and medical care, even the hospitals have been hit. Over 200 medical facilities in Ukraine have been hit mm-hmm. in the last six months. Um, and then you have grief, you know, and anger. You know, yeah. uh, fortunately, none of our pastors have died. None of their immediate Families who are at home have died. We do have pastors with adult children who have been killed. Mm. Uh, We have pastors whose in-laws, brother-in-law, sister-in-law have been killed. Uh, So obviously um, you have grief issues, and then a lot of it just turns to anger so quick because in their mind this is so needless, so silly, and it is. It really Mm -hmm. is. There's no justification for the widespread... uh, damage has been going on. So there's, uh, and then the question is, one of the pastors said to me, I don't, the hardest thing about this is our feelings. We're just filled with anger and hate. And that doesn't really correspond to the spirit of Christ. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you know, there was one minister who for years, a couple of decades, has always had a sharp tongue toward uh, the Russians and the Ukrainian brothers were always trying to calm him down, say, hey, cool it, don't put it on social media, it's not helping any. But now they're all <laughs> kind of wrapped up in it. Yeah. So there is a lot of that going on. Of course, then, uh, when you talk about a loss of a congregation because they've dislocated, that for him is uh, also a loss of job. Mm-hmm. Many of the guys may have been full-time, but others are bivocational. But even if they stay behind, the, the jobs are no longer there. The economy in that section of the country is is uh, no longer functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, exhaustion. Um, many of you guys are talking about just simply being exhausted. It's a nonstop thing. How do you go on vacation in a time like this without right. feeling guilty? Separation. We've already talked about that. The families are separated because of the transitions. That's a lot. I mean, what you're saying, it's hard for me, uh, Tom, to really wrap my head around the level of trauma, the displacement, the pain, the fear. And quite frankly, I know that you said the anger and hate doesn't really coincide with Christ, but I think it's, you know, anger is appropriate to a certain extent at times. I mean, Jesus got angry. Sure, right? I sure. mean, it can be a healthy emotion. And, and if something's happened to your family or to your kids, I think I think that is natural to have that sense of anger. And I, I just can't, it's just hard for me, and as I'm sitting here listening to you, to wrap around how difficult that is for our ministers, 
for our families to try to to wrestle with why is this taking place? The, the sense of frustration must be overwhelming, and that's where we're, we're, we're probably seeing the anger. Yeah, uh, just total frustration with, as you said, it's unnecessary, useless, silly, whatever word you want to apply there, for them to be in this conflict. And then to have to try to deal with the fact that I don't have the resources, I don't have my job, I don't have my jobs if I'm bivocational, which many of them are. I'm losing family, I'm losing losing my congregation. And so that sense of frustration, there is no release for that either, right? So this yeah. has been going on for months, and it just keeps building. How do you see them coping? Do you, do you Have you observed them? Are there ways that they are coping? I mean, I know the basics of getting food and, and supplies to them, that, 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 that's very important. But let, let's go to the next level, uh, their psychological needs and their social needs. Uh, how are they meeting? Do you, do you see them? I think right now they're just functioning. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're in this, you know, if you want to call it from a scientific mode, they're just basically fight or flight and yeah. survival mode. Right. I think that's a lot of it. But the exhaustions begin to set in with some. Uh, and then also with that, a sense of lack of identity. Yes. Or their identities, yeah. they're having yeah. an identity crisis because yeah. they're no longer doing what they thought yes. they were called to do. And they, you know, if they had a church and they don't have it anymore, then what am I? Mm-hmm. So the good news is, is that um, relatively speaking, the pastors there are fairly well networked together. Good. They do have each other. I do not know to what degree they have uh, resources of professional mental health and recovery. And discussion at their disposal. Uh, I'm not even sure to what degree they're uh, aware of the whole issues. You know, they they know they're angry. Yeah. But, you know, they can identify their feelings pretty quick. I think, but processing it, I don't know if they have the tools available. But what they are doing, you said they are networking. Is that kind of a natural? Had you, had you seen that before, or is this this crisis? Yeah, I've seen this it before. Out? Okay, uh, and. One thing about the Ukrainians and, and good Russians are the same way is that they tend to be a little bit more collectivistic in mm-hmm. their groupings. The social structure is just as important as anything else, whereas in the States we tend to think a little bit more individualistically right. and out there yeah. on our own. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, And you do have these, I kind of call it fiefdoms, uh, is how I best describe it. Uh, you have the regional networks, and uh, even some of those overlap, but it's all based on the relationships instead of geography. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there is that in place. And that's functioning fairly well, especially when it comes to helping distribute the humanitarian aid. Uh, something that uh, you may or may not be aware of is that uh, the German Church of God has a, a humanitarian aid ministry called Samaritan Ministries. It's similar to what here in the States we call Operation Compassion. Okay. And uh, we have sent uh, 10 truckloads of food and uh, hygiene wow. articles and whatever wow. and, and into Ukraine since the onset of the war. We're getting ready to send more in there. Right. And then w- this was already in place. This started even back when we started doing the work of the Church of God in the 90s. Okay. So that network was already there, but we had to find new places to bring the goods because the old ones were in, in, under, under fire right now. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but the pastors knew the, the concepts. They already had the organizational and the legal structure within the country to receive the humanitarian aid. And then uh, since then, we've poured a lot of money into purchasing small vehicles to help transport goods around the country. 
and then also to evacuate people if they need to. The weirdest request, they give us always a list of things they want. The weirdest request is when they were asking for body bags. Body bags, wow. Body, yeah. And so we did buy about 300 and send them over. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, I, I've been at ministerial care for a long time and done a lot of counseling. I've never had anyone request body bags. Oh, no, no. You know, that is a... It's, it's, it's in, a, incomprehensible. It's, yes. it's just so incomprehensible of how... Do you, and and I, I like what you said. They're just learning to kind of just... They're just coping. I mean, that, that, it's just... It, to try to kind of, like I said, trying to find a way to just kind of just uh, make sense of it all. I don't think you can. Yeah. I don't think... I mean, I could sit here. We could try to... It doesn't make sense. It's not right. It's not fair. Um. These are our brothers and sisters. Yeah. And this is our family. And it hurts and it grieves me to see, um, quite frankly, them hurting and having to go through this. And, you know, it, it definitely puts whatever issues or problems I might think I have in, perspe- in perspective, quite frankly. Um, my kids are safe. I don't have to worry about being bombed. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to find food or, you know, what's going to happen next in, in regards to just that kind of uproot. And, you know, you mentioned uh, challenging of identity. And um, I really do. What are some of the things that, that you all have been able to do to kind of help our ministers? And I'm really thankful that one of the things that I'm really thankful for is that they do have, a, like you said, they have a sense of community there to kind yeah. of just yeah. uh, tell us a little bit more about that, of, of what that looks like, uh, that community they have with one another. Because to help each other get through this very difficult ordeal. Yeah. Well, uh, they have uh, usually regular meetings together. They're going to have their first minister's meeting as a country mm-hmm. in September near Kiev, <clears throat> which I'm not quite sure if that's where I'd want to hold a meeting, but they feel like that's more central than yeah. any place else. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. Then on your regional levels, uh, you, and when I say a region, that might contain around 20 churches. So whoever's leading the region has a rather overseeable group of people to work with. Mm-hmm. And usually he's the kingpin that makes sure that the networking is happening, checking on what their needs are. Yeah. Now, you know, it, it, it sounds strange, and it, uh, I don't want to make it sound like we're controlling everybody, but we literally have a list of all the ministers and have an idea where they are now and what kind of ministry they're at and what the needs are. Yeah. And uh, we've helped also to help them financially. We've given them all debit cards from a Western bank that we can transfer money onto as the need arises. And then they can take those debit cards in the central and Western part. Now, in the Eastern part, the banks aren't really working that well in the stores. But at least in the other parts of the country, they can buy gasoline if they can find it. Mm -hmm. Gasoline is getting to be harder and harder to find in the Eastern part of the country. Uh, or buy food and medical supplies or drugs or medicines and whatever. Have you learned anything throughout this process, just kind of seeing what's taking place from a leadership perspective? Uh, well, obviously, uh, you learn flexibility and how to, and part of my leadership is to, to help with the flow of that humanitarian aid. And we've had to come up with some creative changes to make that happen. We've been blessed by a lot of support from the United States and also from some of the churches in Europe. My biggest fear is that, you know, it's been six months now and people get tired of hearing it. And the news here in America, you hardly hear anything about Ukraine now. Uh, But it's still going on. It's just a slow grind. But in terms of uh, what have we learned, we've learned to be flexible Mm -hmm. more than anything else. I've learned to listen a lot more. Because this isn't business as usual, and this isn't about a church building program that needs some structure and some yeah. 
building supplies or you know, every now and then you might have a discipline problem with one of the pastors or something. But this is a totally different. Uh, you know, we're doing something totally different now. Yeah. And um, some of the infighting, I think, has kind of ceased. They now have um, bigger problems to worry about. So it goes back to a lot of those minor things now that that we can look back at. These are kind of minor issues. When something like this is facing you, obviously, mm-hmm. it puts things in perspective, right? Sure. Before this crisis took place, what type of issues were they facing? Um, mental health issues? Um, in other words, what's it like to be a pastor in yeah, Europe? In Europe. Is it any different yeah, yeah. than the United is States? It, is it exactly the same? I would imagine it's, it's pretty different context. Well, um, it is a lot different in some regards. I mean, obviously the care of souls and the proclamation of the word is going to be the same no matter where you go. Right. There, um, you have a context where being a Pentecostal is very much in the minority. It's not like even evangelicalism is spread throughout your context like it is here in the southeast of, of the United States. He had to deal with the fact that there is an Orthodox church, and good depending on whether or not it leans toward Moscow or it leans toward Kiev, either way, it kind of played the, the culture card. And to be Russian or to be Ukrainian means you're, mm-hmm. you're uh, Orthodox. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then there's something wrong with you. And uh, that's one of the things that they have to deal with that we don't think about that much. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the denominational barriers, if you want to call it that, kind of go down. They work together a lot more than what has traditionally been the case here in the United States. And I think here in the United States there may be different factors, but one of them is is that you know, the Church of God is a fairly large organization. The Baptist, Southern Baptist is even a larger organization. They're really self-sufficient. But when you get into a context when everybody is part of the minority, then you kind of learn to lean on each other and learn from each other and help each other. And that's one of the things that was really developing over the time. Uh, I think, you know, the war, I say war, the the conflict started in 2014, really, with the Donbass, when they started uh, annexing Crimea, and then they started taking over part of the Lugansk and Donetsk republics uh, or um, regions. Uh, at that time, then, we began church planting along the front lines, and there were 30 churches planted, 13 of which were with the Church of God, but the other uh, 17 were with various organizations, and it depends on who funded it and who sponsored the pastor and the team to go to that location. But the training for those people was all done jointly together. Good, It was in our facilities in Slavyansk, and it was kind of an odd counseling situation. They'd teach them a little bit about PTSD. They'd teach them a little bit about grief counseling how to defuse a bomb, uh, basic first aid. You know, it was kind of an odd mix of things, plus sharing the gospel and preaching, you know. Wow. Wow. Is there anything for our listeners that are listening right now uh, that may want to help? If there's something that they they may be listening to this right now and thinking, what can I do? I mean, prayer is important. We need to do that. I think that's something we need to do in just about everything that we do. It needs to be bathed in prayer. But sometimes we, we need to do more than just pray. God calls us to action. Is there anything that we can do to help? If our listeners are listening right now and thinking to themselves, you know, I just I want to do something to to be a benefit, to be a blessing, what would that be? Well, normally uh, I would welcome people coming and helping out with building projects or preaching or teaching, but now is not that time. Sure. And it sounds kind of unashamed to say it, but right now finances are the biggest need. Yeah. Help yeah. us buy food, help us buy medicine. Yeah. Fuel. No one's getting rich over there. 
Right, right. And uh, that would be the first thing. The Church of God World Missions does have a project number for humanitarian aid. Uh, if you want, I can go ahead and give it to you and Absolutely. maybe put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, it's project number 1310284. Simply say humanitarian aid, Ukraine. It'll, it'll, it'll get there. All right. So make sure you got that at home. 1310284, humanitarian aid for Ukraine, correct? Correct. And, uh, and I also want to say, Tom, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, this is kind of a bleak subject, right? This, we're talking about war. We're talking about... But it's reality. It's it really reality. I mean, there, there's no way to uh, kind of summarize this and just put a happy bow on it. And it's, it's, it's still ongoing. This is right. not something that, right. um, you know, yeah. but it's, it's, it's just the reality of it, like you said, Jeff. But have you heard of any, any success stories oh, that have sure. come through this? Kind of share with us a little uh, bit. Easter Sunday, uh, in the town of Novokakovka, which is in a area that is now controlled by the Russians, uh, have, we have a church there. It ran around 300, a beautiful facility. Uh, on Easter Sunday, they uh, had church with combined with another congregation in town. They had uh, 22 people get saved. Wow! And then another church, uh, Slavyanks, I mentioned, they had a. Baptism service back in June, and like I said, most of the town has been evacuated, but they still had 18 people get baptized. Mm. So, yeah, there are stories like that where in the time of need, people beginning to find the Lord and uh, think about what, you know, the seeds that have been sown there. Yeah. yeah. So that's the beautiful part of this, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, it comes at a high price. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of people that we're praying for y'all. And if you can give, please give, do whatever you can, because these are, this is our family and we are one body. And, and I love the fact that, you know, working together with different denominations and there's beautiful, I think it is beautiful. And I think it's something we can learn from here in the States. And, and, and it sounds like it's not just because of the crisis that they're working together. And that's what you were saying. And even before the crisis yeah. and before this going yeah. on, that they were working together. And yes, they, they as you said, they, they are the minority, so it kind of requires that. But I also think it's a, it, it's a motivation that's there as yeah. well to work with one another rather than just always see denominational uh, lines or, or walls yeah. between our brothers and sisters. Yeah, I would say the, the, they view denomination as being a family, you know, being yeah. part of the same family. And good, there are other families in the community. Yeah, it complements each other. We don't oh. see it as comp- competition. Wow. Well, it, it, that leads me to another question. You've been living as an American over the over there in uh, Europe for what over twenty years, uh, almost thirty, yeah. almost thirty years. What could you tell us about the European perspective, specifically our our church people? All right, so you you, you interact every day with with our people, and I say, and I, we just talked about denominations and breaking down those walls, yeah. but most of our audience are, are, are in the Church of God, sure. right? and so what would you like to say to them? What would you like the perspective that you have because? Probably for many of us, the Europeans, our brothers and sisters are over there and we pray for them, but they're nameless, faceless people. What would you like to tell us about their perspective or their hearts or what you've learned? Well, there's a lot of different things there. First of all, I would say Europe is the forgotten mission field. Mm. Uh, We often think about missions being somewhere in Africa or somewhere in Latin America or perhaps even in Asia and something something called a 1040 window. It seems to be very popular. It's been popular now for 40 years in missiology. But Europe is definitely post-Christian, post-modern, 
And uh, you don't really think about it, but most of the countries in Europe have less than 3% of the population who are evangelical, born-again Christians, compared to, say, 35% here in the southeast. Uh, And even then, the southeast here has a strong uh, cultural impact from the, Mm -hmm. the, the holiness movements. It's very strong here. You don't have that in Europe. Now, there is a precursor, of course, uh, in Germany. It's the land of Martin Luther, the land of the Protestant Reformation. We do have some similarities, but it, uh, it's become just kind of a nominal Christian Christianity. Um, but in terms of an active living faith, it's definitely a minority. And there's a lot of secularism, postmodern thought out there. Some of the issues that you hear of here in the States, whether it be gender mainstreaming or... Uh, you know, uh, anything to do with the LGBTQ agenda. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, we've been fighting that battle for, for decades. Wow. And so while that's become more of a forefront here yeah. in the States, that is something that has been yeah. a battle for, for many years, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I say many years. I, I wouldn't say with uh, some of those issues, it's been more in the last seven years. Seven years. here is like right now. Yeah. 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 You were con- contrasting it uh, with the United States, naturally so, um, and specifically in the Southeast. And in that, 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 the few times I've had the, the opportunity to interact with our brothers and sisters over in Europe is how intentional they are in having to think about being a Christian, whereas mm. in this culture, and especially here in the Southeast, it just is. It's, yeah. it's not really something you have to think about intentionally. But uh, I, was, I really admire it, that, that my, our brothers and sisters over in Europe, it's an intentional thought, and, and, and it's, it's almost a reverence that's a little bit different because you have to think about it, and you have to mm-hmm. think about how different mm-hmm. it is from the rest of the culture. Mm-hmm. And I don't see them, they, I didn't see them, I, I, they're wonderful people of faith, I didn't see them being intimidated or right. anxious about that, but it is a more intentional walk of faith. It's just a given, almost, especially in the southeast. It's, it's, it seems like everyone is saved or thinks that they're saved. Right. There, you have to know. I feel like you have to. You have to be able to defend that. Well, there, are well, part, there are parts of the southeast. You could ask somebody if you if you if you're affiliated with the church, and they'll say yes. Yeah. Do you attend church? No, yeah. I don't attend church, but my church is down the street, yeah. and then my mom and dad it. went to exactly, exactly, yeah. and it's part of the culture itself. Yeah. It, it, well, in, in Germany, you got the same thing. Okay. Um, normally, you know, you have two state churches depending what part of Germany you grew up in. Uh, if, like in the southwest where you've been so much, it's mostly Protestant. Yes. But you go down the mountain into the Rhine Valley, that's all Catholic. And you are automatically considered part of the church when you're born. You're baptized as an infant into the church. Mm-hmm. And in Germany, <laughs> you actually are taxed on your salary if you are a member of one of the big churches, if you're part of the evangelical or Protestant church, or if you're part of the Catholic church, they'll deduct 7% of your salary to take care of your um, church tax. Oh, wow. So much for tithing, you know, you don't have to worry about that. (laughs) Now, many people are opting out of the church because they just don't see any cost benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But nonetheless, people will say, well, are you a Christian? They say, sure, you know, I'm Protestant or I'm Catholic. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the same concept. Right, right. Uh, But then when you go to a... um, you know, like a Pentecostal church. Here's one movement within Germany called the uh, uh, Decided Christians Church, which is uh, it's an assemblies of God. It's part of the assemblies. And uh, they, they go around there and say, we are entschieden, if you know the word in German. We, are, we have made the decision to become followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Interesting. 
Uh, you know, one other question I want to ask before we, we finish up here, Tom, is what are the thoughts that some of the Ukrainian people have towards Russia? What are some of the thoughts that the Russian people have? Because, I mean, these are people that know each other, right? They're, they're, they border one another. You may have families, per, perhaps. Um, what's the narrative that is being portrayed in Russia? Um, Ukraine may, you know, wonder why are you not speaking up, those kind of things. Can you kind of give us a, an insight into those kind of dynamics that are really taking place there on the ground? Sure. Well, uh, specifically within our, our uh, church context, many of our churches are in the Russian section of the country. In the days of communism, they were very much brothers and sisters in the Lord. And after uh, the fall of communism, even though they were two different countries, they still had a lot of interaction with each other. Since uh, the conflict began, really beginning in 2014, when the, uh, the Donbass and the Crimea Peninsula was uh, in a conflict, already then the Ukrainian brothers were wondering why the Russian brothers were not speaking up, because you know, they had different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Even within local churches in the Donbass, it was sometimes difficult to talk about this. It was, it was like here in the States, talking about Republicans versus Democrats, except it's a matter of life and death. Yeah. Who's responsible for this? Uh, that has only magnified more since the uh, onset of the special military operations six months ago in February. And um, you know, the narrative that is being told, and by many people being believed in the Russian context, is that they're not at war against Ukrainians. They have nothing against Ukrainians. They love the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. They're brothers. But they see this as a proxy war against the United States and the West being played out in the theater of Ukraine. Whereas on the Ukrainian side, they just see houses being destroyed and bombed, and it's written with a big Z on it. It comes from Russia. Yeah. And they just don't get it why people can't just say what it is. Yeah. You know? and so there's a lot of frustration with that. Sure. And so you're really dealing with kind of two different types of realities, right? Right. And depending upon what side you're looking at. And so um, very fascinating. Once again, we could do we could talk about this all day. But Brother Tom, thank you so much for being with us. It's really an honor to have you here. And uh, I, I've learned a lot in this conversation. I hope our listeners have as well. And we're going to be continuing to pray for you. And if you can support, if you can give, please do whatever you can. Contact World Missions. Well, we've given out the number earlier in this episode, and so please please feel free to give. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. We'll be back with Action Steps right after this. You've been listening to Pastoring on Purpose, a podcast of the Center for Ministerial Care. We talk with pastors, church staff, and mental health professionals about what it's really like to lead and serve a congregation. From pastoral burnout to boundaries, the pressing issues of leadership to the pertinent little details that help a body progress, we're here to help you be a healthier leader, pastor, and person. Welcome back, and this is the section of the show where we talk about our action steps. This is really just a time where we just kind of take home some points, some things that we may have learned, some things that we might be able to apply um, from what we learned. And, And number one, one of the things that really just pops up to me is that during crisis, it is normal and actually uh, expected to experience frustration and anger. It doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that um, something is wrong with you. It means you're in crisis. And I think that is something we need to be able to point out. It's in those moments 
um, that we need to recognize exactly what we're going through. And that brings me to my second point here in the action step is that during crisis, a lot of times I think we can learn from our Ukrainian brothers and sisters because, as you said earlier in this interview, Brother Tom, is that they turned to each other. They went to a community to help one another, uh, to find avenues of support. I feel sometimes here in the States, not all the time, but sometimes in the States, that when we're dealing with crisis, we turn more inwardly and more isolated. And it's this idea that I'm going to push through this, I'm going to be able to do this myself, and oftentimes that frustration mounts. And uh, obviously, we're not. I'm not trying to compare the situation here in the States and Ukraine. Please don't misunderstand what I'm trying I to understand. say. It is a completely different level. Um, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from uh, from our, 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 our people over there, quite frankly. And, and I would add to that, this isn't something that developed because of the crisis. They've been developing community all along. Wow. And then, of course, right now in the crisis, it really comes in handy. Absolutely. And I would even say, correct me if I'm wrong, that if they didn't have that developed sense of community before the crisis, it's not going to happen whenever the crisis hits, perhaps, right? Not necessarily. You just don't know. You just don't know. And so, uh, and then finally... Um, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine need our prayers. We've talked more specifically about what's going on, so you have uh, specific things that you can pray for. Um, and so please, uh, lift them up to the Lord in prayer. And you can also f- support uh, people in Ukraine, our pastors in Ukraine, our people there in a tangible way. And we've given you an avenue to be able to do that, so please, I encourage you to give um, if you feel led to do so. Brother Tom, thank you for being with us. Jeff, once again. Pleasure. Thank you, Tom, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. And we will see you next time uh, on Pastoring on Purpose. Thank you for listening to Pastoring on Purpose. Join us next time as we continue our purposeful progress to becoming better pastors and people.